You guys ready to open up the Word of God this morning? All right. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Church, the life of a Jesus follower is a life of dependency on God. Right? We were made, we were created to be in a relationship with God, to walk with Him, to abide in Him, to follow Him, to obey Him, right? to seek Him and to be dependent and really desperate for Him. In the Old Testament, we see a great example out of a man named David, and he's referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. All right, good job, man. You guys have been paying attention. Right? He did some great things for God, and he did terrible things. Right? You look at, you look at your life, and you're like, okay, I'm probably okay. This man was a, a man that was after God's own heart, though. He, he did the great and terrible things, but his heart was to be in line with God, was to be with God, to seek God's heart, to see his ways, and he lived a life of dependency on God. We see that lived out in Psalm 62. David says this. He says, I am at rest in God alone. That phrase means that I, that he fully trusts in God in that situation. He says, my salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. He continues in verse seven, my salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock, my refuge is in God. He's talking to the people at this point. He says, trust in him at all times. You people pour out your hearts before him because god is our refuge david is a man that is known as a shepherd boy he's known as the man that had took down goliath he's known as king david and in psalm 63 david is running and fleeing from for his life against his own son david is fleeing he's on the run and really now has nothing he's had everything and now he has nothing and he's running for his life but he continues to keep his eyes on god and depend on him Listen to what he says. This is the heart of David. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. Verse 3, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Those are big statements by David. David has had a lot of glorious moments in his life. As a, as a, as a shepherd, he slain animals, right? He, he killed animals, right? Protecting his sheep. Whenever the army, right? The army of God, the, the, the Israelites, they wouldn't step up to Goliath. He says, I got this, right? And he, with the power of God, obviously slays uh, Goliath and, and, and kills Goliath. He became a mighty and powerful king. He had wealth. He had power. He had anything he wanted. And now he's at a point where he... <laughs> really has nothing, right? And he's running for his life. But in all of that, he's able to say, God, I seek you. I thirst for you. My lips will glorify you. He doesn't say because money or power or a relationship or a car or a home. He says because your love is better than life. David is saying this, that knowing God, being with God, walking with God and being loved by God is better than any other thing it's better than life itself can we say that like to, to to be in the love of god is better than life itself david is fully dependent on god our question for us throughout these last three weeks is this are we fully dependent on god right are we are we fully dependent on him do we fully trust in god in every situation sometimes we only go to god when things get tough are we dependent on him in every situation do we seek him and really do we seek him to know him better 
For the last few weeks, we've been walking through, man, an amazing passage out of Psalm 139 where David is telling us about God. He tells us about, about um, a God that is all-knowing, he's all-present, he's all-powerful, he's the creator and sustainer of all things, and yet this God knows us personally, right? And we see why David can fully trust God and why he's dependent on him and why he fully loves him. And church, as we walk through this, we should be able to walk away feeling the same way, Right? God is not this, this big, distant you know, creature or cre- whatever it is way up in the sky that just has nothing to do with us. He didn't just create and go and chill out and play checkers with the angels, right? That's not who God is. He's, he's, he's not the old man upstairs. He's not the big guy in the sky. And from a pastor's heart, let me tell you, we should stop referring to God as such, right? He's not, the, he's, he's not that. We should stop referring to him as such. He is the perfect, holy, majestic, fully involved God, and we will see that he's fully involved in your and my everyday life. We've seen this throughout Psalm 139. He knows you, he's present, and he loves you personally. So guys, open up your Bibles to Psalm 139. If you're new to the Bible, it's pretty close to the center. Psalm's got 150 chapters, and it's Psalm 139. It'll be up on the screen as well if you need that, and there's some Bibles in your row for you as well. But as you're turning there, I want to recap a little bit of what David has told us and taught us about God um, before we kind of get to this text. In verses 1 through 6, we see that God has searched us and he's known us, right? He knows when we sit down. He knows when we stand up. He knows our thoughts. He knows the words before we say them. He's aware of when we're resting and when we're going, right? He's fully aware of all of our ways and our thoughts and our motives, right? His knowledge of us surpasses our understanding. He knows us all perfectly and personally. Sometimes that's really, it's, it's a little scary, right? You're like, that area that I put back with the do not disturb sign on it, like, God, you've been there? Yeah, I, I got you. Yeah, I've been there, right? Verse 7, David, uh, verse 7 through 12, David goes and he talks about how he's not this distant God, but he's ever present, right? It doesn't matter how high or low or how far east or west or how fast we go or how dark the place is that we go. Church, hear me out. You cannot escape the presence of God. Verse 13 through 18, we're reminded that God not only knows us and that he's present, but church, he made you, right? He loves you and he values you more than you can ever imagine. We're in a culture right now where it seems like there's a lot of devaluing of life right, of whatever it is. Maybe it's a different race. Maybe it's the unborn. Maybe it's the elderly. But then we have sayings that really come out of that, different sayings like black lives matter, unborn lives matter, police lives matter. And guess what? They all matter. All lives matter, right? We talked about that last week. Every single human life from the womb to the tomb matters, and anything in our heart that goes against that is sinful against the holy God. Are Are you with me, church? Man, it doesn't matter if the baby's in the womb or if it's a person about to die on their their deathbed. God says they matter to him and they should matter to us because all were made in his image. He made all of us to be with him. Just think about that. He created you to be with him and to walk with him. He personally, the Bible says he knit us together in the womb. Your life matters to the creator of this universe. And then David tells us in verse 17 and 18 that we are always on God's mind. And as we talked about last week, man, that's, that, that's awesome. And one point, it's convicting as well, right? He knows you. He's present. He loves you. He values you. And because of that, 
knowing all of those things about God, how will you respond to God? And here's our hope and prayer that we can fully trust God and live a life where we long for him and grow in a walk with him. And so church, let's stand together and read Psalm 139, 17 through 24. And we're doing that to honor the word of God. Psalm 139, 17 through 24. And as we read this, just just ask God, let me set anything aside that's going to keep me from hearing from you this morning. David writes this in verse 17. He says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. God, as we read over the last two weeks, and just recap today, that you all-powerful God, but you know us, and you're with us, and you love us. God, as we talk today about how do we respond to that, we pray, God, that you would just just speak to us. It's not my words, they're from you, God. We pray, Lord, that, that you would be in charge today, and God, that you would help us walk out of here in a life that's more dependent on you. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Please forgive me, I'm going to have to take some drinks while i'm up here talking but i think we're good so far david throughout psalm has really the psalm 139 has really been given praise and he's worshiping god because of who god is right and because god is a personal god he's rejoicing over the reality that god knows him and he values him verse 17 david is the 17 and 18 i know we covered that last week but because of verse 19 gets a little awkward we'll talk about that but he's still expressing his amazement of who god is right and then it appears in verse 19 that David kind of like does like a 180 or something. It kind of seems a little awkward, so we're going to walk through that. Verse 19, he says this, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. God, I love you. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for all these things. Your thoughts are precious, all this good stuff. And then would you slay the wicked while we're talking, right? Oh, Lord, right? Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. So up until this point, we've read of David's awe and love for God. And then we see that David's response, really, and we're going to talk about this, but his response is really to fully love God. Because here's what's happening. He realizes that there are people in his life that surround him that are created by this God, they're loved by this God, they're known by the same God, yet they oppose him and they blaspheme him and they deny him. And David, I think, is having an authentic moment here. It seems to me like David has no other way that he can respond to people like this except with hatred. David knows And he loves God. He's experienced that from God, and so he knows him and loves him back. And here he begins to talk with God. God, there are people that hate you, God, people that are your enemies. He says in verse 21, he says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? These are people that are out there defaming God's character. People that are rebelling against God and rebelling against what God is doing. People that are rejecting God. They're turning people away from God. People that are wicked. 
And David says, God, do I not hate those who hate you? God, they, they, they hate the one that I love the most. Do I not hate them? And then he asks, do I not load those who rise up against you? Meaning this, the word load means to be grieved with. David is saying this, God, when they rise up against you, it causes me grief and pain in my heart and sorrow. It causes anger and disgust within me. He says in verse 22, I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. David sees a God that is holy and righteous and perfect and pure and he's all knowing and he's all present and he's all powerful and he knows that this God when he's all of those things is still personal he knows that God loves him and values him and he's with him and David's response is God I'm all in I love you God with all I am and I think this is what he's saying and anyone that opposes you is your enemy and so they are my enemy David wants them gone he wants nothing to do with these people he isn't talking about people that are indifferent towards God or might have a slightly different belief. These are, these are people that are actually, they hate God or they hate what God stands for or they hate what God is doing. They hate the one that created them or they reject his very existence. Church, when we read this, there's two really strong opinions on what is happening here with David. And I'll be honest with you, I've got some friends that are super smart, super godly guys that just, just you know, look, bless you, that, that just you know, think two different ways about this. Some say that David here is really having a sinful heart. They're saying that David is not loving, but he's hating his neighbor. And there's the other side of the camp that says David and his hate is a, is a righteous, and, and it's, it's, it's justified. And really, I think if we, if we look at that, I think we can have an argument for both sides of that, but I personally believe you, you take that to God and, 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 and ask him to you know, explain that to you, but I, I personally believe that David's heart here is in line with that of God's. If you think he's being sinful, that's okay. That's, I think it still works all together. But I think, I, think, I think what we see here is David's heart is in line with God's. Here's what I mean. Scripture speaks of God's anger and of what he hates. So I spent some time this past week really just studying that. You look at Proverbs chapter 6, it actually says here are six things that the Lord hates. Right? He doesn't say he dislikes them or you know, that he just kind of wishes they'd get better. He says he hates them. Right? Proverbs, or excuse me, uh, perhaps Proverbs 6. Psalm 11 says that God hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So there's this righteous anger, right? Psalm 97.10 says, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord. So if we respect and we follow and we're with Lord is hatred of evil. Romans 12.9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Abhor speaks of detesting utterly, so be disgusted with evil. Right? There's not mincing of words here. He's not kind of saying, hey, be lukewarm in this. Right? He's saying he hates it. And I believe that God is so, or that David is so in love with God and who God is, and when he sees that, 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 that opposition to God or when people hate them or, or reject God, Right, he's seeing that evil. And David is basically saying there's no middle, middle ground. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with those that are, that are evil and hate God. I think that's what we're seeing here. Church, when we are fully known by God, here's, here's the great part. You're fully known, and he still loves you. We've got to celebrate that, church, because there's parts of us that we don't love about us. 
but God sees us. He's been there. He's in there like continually. He knows you and he still loves you. Even when we're hiding in the dark, he's right there saying, man, I know you're sinning against me, but I still love you. Doesn't mean he loves what we're doing, right? And when he sees all that we do and all that we're hiding and all that we say and think and do and he still loves us, we have to respond to that, right? Have you ever been loved by that? You have to respond to that. When he's this all-present God and he proves that he loves us and he values us, we have to respond to that. And we see David respond here. He's showing his love for God. Guys, for us today, we have even more evidence of God's love for us. David's on this side of the cross, church. We're on this side of the cross. Are you with me? Man, we have seen the evidence of God's love for us. We know that Jesus came to be God with us. Let's get a little excited about this, church. He came to live the life we couldn't live. He came and died the death that you and I deserve to die. He came and he conquered the grave and and death and hell so that we could have eternal life with him. Not so that we can go and hang out with him once a Sunday or maybe a life group. or You get what I'm saying? It's not about that. It's so we can have eternal life with him, so that we can be cleansed from our sins, so we can have that perfect relationship with him, so that we can walk with him and follow him and obey him. The Bible tells us that God proved it. He demonstrated his, own, his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how can we not respond like David and be even more in love with God? Our response to who God is is to love him. On the back of your bulletin, there's a spot to fill that in if you want to take notes. If you want to make paper airplanes, just don't throw them at me while I'm up here, okay? Church, here's the thing. When he says to love him, it's not like we love Oreos, church. It's not even like we love our pets, men and women. It's not even like we love our spouse. It's to love him completely and supremely. Love him in such a way so that when you see anyone or anything that opposes God, you want nothing to do with it. And church, that could even be the sin or evil in you and me. You ever have that moment when you, you mess up? You know, you, you sin and you mess up and you have that brokenness? That's good. That's, that's a good thing to have, man. So whether a person here, let's go back to this. Whether a person believes that David is sinful here or that he's having a righteous anger, David's response is to love God. And our response is to love God. Part of loving God, Jesus says in John 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? So because... Because of who God is, we love him and we follow him. Here's a question. Do we love God enough that sin and evil, whether it's in the world or maybe it's in our own life, do we love him enough that we want nothing to do with anything that opposes God? Come to verse 23 and 24. Church, I believe that the, the feelings of hatred that, that David has for the enemies, whether, whether we think it's uh, sinful or righteous, I think it does cause David to become a little bit introspective probably even a little bit of God, I've got this anger within me, right? And I, and I believe it to be a righteous anger towards evil, but if it's not, let me know, okay? I think there's some of that there, but I think most obviously, and the biggest point right here is when you look at all of Psalm 139, and we see who God is, and how he knows us, and values us, and he's with us, it causes David to respond to God in this way, because of who God is, because God knows him, he's with him, he made him, he values him, and because David loves God, we're going to see David conclude this psalm right here by asking God, really, we'll describe this, but to take inventory of his life. 
Now, before we read this, remember, let, at the very beginning, Dave, David has already said, God, you search me and you know me, right? You search me and you know me. But now we see David's response to who God is. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. David is responding to God here. We see that, that, that David loves God, but now David is doing something a little bit different. He's inviting God to search him and try him. Church, David trusts God, right? He loves God. He, he, he's giving evidence that he's fully dependent on God. He's desperate for God. And let's be really clear. God doesn't need David's permission. All right, let's understand that. He doesn't need David's permission, but what we see here is David's heart lining up with God's heart here, right? He's saying, God, I know you already do it, but now I want you to do it. I want you to search me and know me. And we see here that David wants to have nothing in his life that would oppose the God that he loves. I believe David is saying this, God, anything, I invite you to search me and continue searching me in my heart and please root out any unrighteousness, anything that lives within me that opposes you. And I think this is a big deal for us this morning, church. We, we've already read all of Psalm 139. After reading it, we should be able to walk away knowing more of who God is. He's the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. We've said that a lot, haven't we? We should get that by now, right? He's the creator and sustainer, and even with all of that, he's involved. He loves you and me personally. And church, just like we see with David, our response to who God is is to love him and invite him. Invite him. Now, going back to David, let's be clear. God doesn't need our permission to search us and try us. Are you following me, church? Man, he doesn't need our permission. But we want a heart that, that lines up with his, and we want him to be more involved and to grow to be more like Christ. When we have that heart, we begin to say, God, search me. Help me look, help me look more and more like you. Right? Help me see the areas in my life that are offensive to you. Help me see the areas in my life that are sinful to you. That's, that's part of that sanctification, part of growing in Christ. Church, when was the last time you sit, spent time with God and cried out like David, God, search me. And know me until every part of my being is known. I think about a, a surgeon examining a patient for any signs of cancer or any sign of sickness or, or, or brokenness. They search and they search until there's nothing less to search. That's what we want God to do, expose it so that we can get it out. Sometimes I think we're just okay, just kind of, let's, let's just leave it there. Let's just hide it. Let's just bury it for a little bit. But David is saying, I don't, want, I don't even want it in me. As much as I hate those that, are, that, are, that oppose you, God, I hate the sin in me. What a great and trusting prayer, church. He fully trusts God. Man, there are things that nobody knows about me except my wife because I know her and I trust her. Are you with me? Right? Spouses, that's how it should work, okay? Right? Amen. All right, I'll, I'll help me out there. There's certain things within us that maybe even our spouse doesn't know, right? And we want to invite God to, 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 to do what he needs to do. We want to be able to say to God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. The truth is, every single one of us in here is a sinner. If you don't think you are, I have a, I have a little experiment. 
Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your friends. Ask your neighbors. They'll, they'll help you out. Apart from God. Don't ask my spouse. She'll tell you. That's a sinner, man. Apart from God. I want, let's, let's hear this. Let's hear this. This is what, this is what, Jesus, this is what Jesus does. He, he sees what's in us, and he, and he wants to kind of help us get out of that. He saves us from that. Here's what Jeremiah 17, 9 says about your heart and my heart. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Not my heart. I'm a pastor. Not my heart, right? Are you with me, church man? Our hearts are like that without Jesus. Mark 7 says, out of the hearts of men and women proceeds the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, inverse, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's what's in us. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Roman three, Romans 3 says this, that there's none righteous, no, not one. So I think God in Scripture makes it pretty clear that we have some issues in our hearts, right, that need to be exposed. David knows he's got some heart issues, and he says, God, I'm not big enough to see them all. I don't want to show them all, but would you search me and make them known? David says, to try him. What does it mean to try a person? David is saying, God, test me. Exercise any test upon me. Let me be fully examined by you. Right? We, all see, we also see that being tested builds character. We know that, right? It builds, it builds character and it shows the character of our lives. When, we, when the going gets tough, when we walk through a hard time, how will we stand? Test me. Search me. Try me. Know me. And God also... My anxious thoughts, I don't really enjoy this one. I'm just going to be honest with you. Even those thoughts and doubts within me, those worries, God, I'm supposed to fully trust God, right? But we have those moments where we struggle with that. Anybody walking through that right now? Like my hand's in the air. You just, you just, it's hard, right? You just trust God. But that, if we fully trust God, well, are you with me, church? Man, we, that's, we want him to expose that within us. Anything that's in us that, that, that opposes him. God, open every room, every closet, go into the basement. Don't forget the attic. Did you check the garage and the shed in the back? Right? God, check every part of me. When was the last time we said that to God? He goes on to say, and see if there's anything in me that's hurtful to you. This isn't just a prayer for us to say, hey, God, I, I, I'm going to confess a few things, but most of my stuff is good. My good outweighs my bad, so I think we can kind of walk away with that. I think we're good. David is saying, when you search and examine and, and test me, I want you to see if there's anything in me that's hurtful to you. The word hurtful, here's what that means. It means wicked, offensive, or idle ways. He's saying, and we can say, God, if there's anything in me that is hurtful to you, Let's see it. The New Living Translation says this, point out anything in me that offends you. If there's wicked in me, God, let's point it out. If there's anything in me that pains you, show it. God, if there's any idols in my life, whether it's money or sex or my job, right, expose that. If there's anything in my life that offends you, let's, let's expose it. And God can do that. Remember back in verses 6 through 7, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. David says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Here's what we know. 
Or if you don't, you'll know it now. God knows you better than you know you. He made us. He's with us. He's continually searching us. And David is trusting God. And we need to trust God and ask him, God, in all your wisdom, point out what is in me that should not be there. Let's have a moment of reality here. I think too often we're not worried about what's in our life that offends God. In fact, I think we're more worried about God offending us. <laughs> ah, I thought about that. I wrote that down because that's what was going through me this week, man. I think, I think we sit there and we're like, well, but God, I don't want to do this. Or God, I don't, I don't know about this, right? I think we do that. We're more worried about how God offends us instead of what, what, how we're offending him. We should have feelings when, when we feel offended by a perfect. Let me say that again. It should crush us when we offend God. Let's just put it that way. Trust Him, depend on Him, love Him enough to invite Him to search you. And then, God, once you've searched, tested, and known me, and He pointed out things that don't belong, David is saying, Don't stop there. He says, Lead me in the everlasting way. He doesn't stop with the search and know me. He now says, lead me in the everlasting way. David's response to God is to love him, invite him, and really line up with God. And now he's submitting to him. He's submitting to him. He's expressing his desire to walk with God and to be with God forever. And I think, church, our response in line with that is to love him, invite him, and to surrender to him. Or you can put submit to him. When David says, lead me in the everlasting way, he's also saying this. David is also recognizing that there's another way. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Not another way to God, but another path that we could walk. There's a way that leads to eternal life, to the everlasting life. And there's a path that leads to destruction. Does that make sense? There's God's way, and then there's our way and the world's way. And David is saying, God, I want to be like you. I want to trust you. I want you. I want to I live for you. And he's saying, so grab a hold of me and lead me. Be in charge. He's saying, I'm yours. Search me and try me and know me and lead me in the everlasting way. Think about what David is saying here. He's saying this, your ways, keep me in your ways, God. Bring me further and further along in your ways, your everlasting ways, the way that leads to you and leads to eternal life. Which means this, church, God, I'm giving up my ways. I think we live in a culture, what's the thing? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to earn back trust, right? We say that a lot, right? You, you, you ruin my trust, it's hard to learn that. I, here's the thing about God. Our God is the same God that created the world. Our God is the same God that created, and he's the same God over Adam and Eve, the same God over David, the same God over Paul and Peter. He's the same God over us today, and he always will be. He's consistent and he's never changed. We live in a culture that is all over the place, man. Try watching the news today, man. You're like, what are we worried about today? What's happening today? I mean, we're just like, what are we worried about, right? He's never changing. He's consistent. He's been doing it a long time. I think we can trust in him. Amen, church? I think we can trust God. Amen, church, right? I think he's probably a good one to follow, right? So God, lead us in your everlasting way. Think about this. We read things in the Bible like this. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness and make your way straight before me. We read things like this. Teach me to do your will for you're my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Or the Lord detests the ways of the wicked, but he loves those who pursues 
righteousness. And then the passage from Jesus himself where he says, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God is the leader. He was the leader before creation of man. He was the leader in the Old Testament. He's the leader in the New Testament. He's still leading today. We can trust him. We can submit to him, which means we set aside our ways. David was a man after God and after, his, and after God's heart, and he was by no means perfect. Just read a little bit of stuff about David. But he was a man that was devoted to God. And church, that's what God wants from you today. He wants total devotion and absolute, absolute and complete surrender to him and his will. Will he get that from you? Will he get that from our church? As an individual, are you willing to let God search and expose you and, and, and expose those thoughts and those attitudes and those feelings and sin that's within you? Will you pray words like David did? Will you guys, will you guys read this with me? Can you put that up there, Kevin? Search me. Let's just read this together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Church, you and I were made to walk with God, to seek God, to know Him, to love Him. We were made to be His. We were made to be dependent on God and desperate for Him. He knows you. He loves you. He values you. He's with you. Will you love Him, invite Him, and surrender to Him so that we can pray that prayer? Now, here's the, here's the thing. Saying that here in church and reading that is one thing, but take it with you and believe it and live that out and trust God. We want to get to a point. There's a, there's a song that says, My heart is yours. Take it all, take it all. My life is in your hands. Throughout this series, we've, we've read of God's knowledge that he's, that he's with us, right? That he created us, that he can search us and know our hearts. And today we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper. And church, this is a time for us to remember just how much God loves us. Here's the reality. We struggle with trusting God. There's no doubt about it. He deserves it. He deserves our complete trust and our complete surrender. And he proves that Jesus came and he died for you. This is a time for us to remember just how much God loves us. John 1.1 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, being Jesus, was God. Verse 14, it says that the Word, Jesus, became flesh. Jesus, God the Son, came to, 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 to come and, and, and become the flesh for you and for me, and He pursues the cross. Without sinning, He pursues the cross for those areas, and then you don't want anybody else to see. He came and he died for those. He came, church, because he loves you and you were made to be with him. So here's my question for you. Do you know God? Have you given your life to Jesus? Not are you religious. Have you gone to church three out of the four times a month? Not did you put the K-Love bumper sticker on the back of your car. Not did you put Christian on your Facebook page. Church, let's get down to it. Do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus and surrendered to him as Lord? And asked him to save you. If you haven't, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus 
came and his body was broken for you and me and his blood was shed for you and me. And we get to take the Lord's Supper today remembering what he did for you and me on the cross. In church, we should walk out. That should change the way we live. It should change the way we live when we remember what Jesus did for us, knowing that God, that, that he died and that he rose from the dead. Church, we get to look forward to his return, amen? Man, that's exciting. Up on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord in... The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke that bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. His body was broken for us. Do this, take this, 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 this bite in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this, this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul continues to write, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Church, we've already seen that we need God. Amen? Now, we need God. We need to, at this moment, just like David did, we need to ask God to search us and try us. Ask God to examine our lives. This is a perfect opportunity to spend time with the Lord and ask Him to search you and try you and find if there's anything in you that offends God. Is there a sin? Is there a relationship that needs to be healed? Is there an offensive, uh, an offense towards another member of, of, the, of the church, right? And so we're going to take that time to ask God, God, search me and try me. Help me take the Lord's Supper in a manner worthy of you and give God thanks for Jesus' blood that was shed and his body that was broken for you. And so go ahead and do that. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I don't know Jesus. I've always had a different view of God. But today, I know that God loves me, and then he came and died for me. Church, the Bible says in Romans 10, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'd be saved. Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that Jesus died for you, and that he was buried, and that he rose again to have eternal life with you? I'm not asking if you've been religious. I'm not asking if you've got a Bible. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? And if today, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and you would say, I want to, I want to be saved today. I want to know for sure. I had a pastor growing up said that you know that you know that you know that when you die, that you'll spend eternity with Jesus. If that's you today and say, I want to spend eternity with Jesus, I want to give my life to him. Go ahead and close your eyes, church, just to respect those that are around you. But if there's someone here today that says, I don't know Jesus, I want to give my life to Jesus, would you slip your hand up? Would you slip your hand up and say, today's the day I want to give my life to Jesus. If you're here today and you know Christ, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Ask God to examine your heart. Remember what he did for you on the cross. And ask him to help you live a life that shows that you're looking forward to his return. For those that don't know Jesus, I'll be up here in this moment of silence. While the music plays behind, if you, if you want to come forward and say, I want to give my life to Jesus, I'll be up here.